Hey, listen, welcome to Crossroads Church on Easter Sunday. It is so great to see you. I love heat because at the sunrise service, we didn't have any. So it is awesome to be in here. Uh, two weeks ago, it was really hot in here. Last week, it was really cold in here. Give us a shout out if it's just about right this year, this week. Yeah, okay. All right. See, third time's the charm. So listen, we are starting a series this morning called Unbroken, the Unstoppable Movement of God. Because that's what Easter ushered in is something that cannot be changed, cannot be broken. That is God's plan from the beginning of time. And it reached its fulfillment at Easter. And we come to celebrate that this morning. And when you think about things that are go unbroken, that's kind of a rare thing, is it not? I don't know about your life or what your life looks like, but it seems like there's always something breaking around my house. Car, appliance, air conditioner. And I I got great people to fix all that in this church, and I thank you guys for that. Uh, Anything we buy at the dollar store that my kid wants breaks. 24 hours, that's all it takes. 24 hours, it's broken. I don't have a good history with lamps breaking around me. Um, uh, growing up, I broke a few and then, um, I was moving some stuff on my dresser last year and I had a mirror that should have been on my to-do list to put on the wall, but it was sitting on the dresser and I shifted some stuff and the mirror shifted and the mirror started falling and it fell onto a glass antique lamp that my wife's grandma gave her and they both started falling and I'm an idiot and I grabbed the mirror, the Kmart mirror. And that lamb broke. And that was a bad day in his Wimpy household. For me. Bad day for me. And it's bad enough when things like that break. But when the things that are most important in life break, it's a whole different ballgame. Things like our hopes and our dreams and our friendships and our families, when those things are shattered, when those things break, something inside of us breaks as well. See, when we're young, I think there's a sense of optimism and, and the belief that things will get better and that things will work out okay and uh, that all is going to work out. But after uh, most people, after enough disappointments in life, it kind of feels like, you know what, I'm not going to get suckered this time. And then something inside of us changes and we break too. You know, there's a movie, they call it uh, Grumpy Old Men. You guys know that movie, Grumpy Old Men? They call it that for a reason. I think they even got grumpier old men out there. Do they have grumpiest old men? I don't know. See, if you're young and you're grumpy, you're just ahead of your time. But somewhere along life beats us up enough where we just kind of resign ourselves to live in brokenness because we see a broken world around us and just figure we must stay broken too. Guys, if I can know one thing about Easter and the story of Easter and the message of Easter is that God came to fix that which was broken. That God is in the business of taking those things that are broken and remaking them and restoring them and, and bringing life to them. That, that includes the things that are broken in our world, that are broken in our homes and relationships, and even the things that are broken inside of us. Man, that is the great hope of Easter, that God can remake us unbroken. Like him. You know, there's a word for that in the scriptures. And the word that God uses to describe this process of being remade is the word redemption. Redemption. And a couple different uh, definitions of that. The first one is simply this. Deliverance and rescue. Deliverance and rescue. 
Now, I don't know how, just take a quick poll. We're going to queue up a video here real quick. But um, um, there was a movie that came out on, on Christmas, and it was called Unbroken. How many, anybody see the movie Unbroken? Okay, just a few. Anybody read the book? Even fewer. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't read either, so uh, I get it. Um, but without giving too many spoilers away, I think if we're ready, we're going to show you the trailer of that because it's a beautiful story of redemption, deliverance, So you see, without too many spoilers, without giving too much away, because I hate when people do that to me on a movie, but when you are an Olympic athlete like Louis Samperini, who uh, crashes in the uh, Pacific Ocean, who is a prisoner of war in a uh, Japanese camp, and yet through all of that, his spirit is, is uh, unbroken, and God delivers him, and he is rescued from his captors. We want to cheer, don't we? And I think we can relate to that because in every situation of his life, he kind of, he leaned into his faith and he saw God come through. And I think a lot of us approach God in the same measure. We say, hey, God, I need your help in this instant and in this scenario. God, I need you to rescue my relationships or I need your uh, deliverance from doubt or deliverance from depression or deliverance from debt, whatever the situation is. But there's, a, there's more to this idea of redemption than simply being delivered. And it's the, it's this definition here. It says the act of atoning for a fault or mistake. And that's really what the story of Easter is all about. And this is where Easter becomes personal to each one of us, where God in, in his plan has decided that he would atone, that he would pay for, that he would be the payment of our sin. See, 600 years before Jesus Christ came, God told the prophet Isaiah that the one was going to be coming, that this Christ was going to come, and here's what he was going to do. And the scripture in Isaiah 53 says this, speaking of Christ, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. And each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on on him the iniquity of us all. That's the story of Easter. And see, many people don't feel comfortable at church or feel comfortable talking about God. There's a sense that there's, there's mistakes and faults and failures in their past. And so there's shame and there's guilt. And that weighs them down. And, and they, if they're honest, they would identify with this sheep right here. And say, yeah, I've gone my own way. I've gone astray. But if you read that whole passage, you realize that's exactly why Jesus Christ came. That's exactly why he came. That he would take the burden and the shame and the guilt of your sin and in my sin and make something beautiful from it. See, the story of God is simple. He created a beautiful place in perfection, no corruption and no decay. He created a place where we were intended to live forever with him. And then with one fatal choice in page two of our Bible, that all changed. By one man's decision, it brought corruption, it brought death, it brought disease, and it brought sin. And if we're honest with ourselves, we could say, honestly, we've added to that pile of sin. And yet God's pursuit since that moment has been a never-ending pursuit to run down you and to run down me and run down everyone in humanity to restore us back to him. 
The best illustration I can think of this is simply this. In God's holiness, he has condemned us all. And if he was the judge standing uh, in his in his seat and we were uh, standing before him, he would pronounce each one of us guilty. And then he would stand up and remove his robe and lay it down and come around and stand on the side of the defense and say, but I will take this punishment instead of them. I will pay the price. I will take the shame and I will take the guilt. It is I. Let my son do that. Let him pay for them. Let him be crushed and let him be pierced. And that is what Easter is all about. So he was crushed and pierced and punished for you and for me. And I can tell you this, Jesus' unbroken devotion to you and to me led to his death. Because he loved you so much, because he loves me so much, he was willing to be punished and broken because he loved us. And he was devoted to us. He was willing to pay the price to bring redemption to your life and to mine. And you say, well, I didn't ask him to do that. I mean, now I sort of feel indebted to him or, or like I owe him. Well, you know what? He didn't ask our permission, did he? He just did it because he's God. And he said, this is my plan. And if you feel indebted to me, that's okay. Because I love you anyway. And I love you and died for you. And paid the debt that you could not pay. So the scripture says he was crushed for on your behalf and on my behalf. Well, so if he was crushed and broken, how, how was he unbroken? Well, I'm glad you asked, Brooks. This is the best part of the story, no problem. This is the best part of the story. See, not only was he broken for us, something amazing happened this first Easter that radically renovates everything we can think about in terms of our relationship with God. And it says this in John chapter, uh, Luke chapter 24. On the first day of the week, that's why we're meeting on Sunday. Very early in the morning, or not so early, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. See, what they were doing is they were getting things ready to embalm Jesus and prepare him for for his uh, burial. And they honestly probably didn't expect anything out of the ordinary. And maybe you've come this morning, it's just another Sunday or just another Easter And you're here because you're supposed to be here. But God has something unique and special and profound in store for you this morning. Just like he did for these women. It says when they got there, they found the stone was rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, hey, um, dead people don't usually walk off. Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Angels appeared to them. And in the fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. And those three words are, are, are an affront, but also the great news of the good, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he has risen. And because he is risen, that changes everything. See, the amazing thing about Easter is his death paid for our sins, but then his, 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 his resurrection is the proof of it, the proof that he was God, proof that it was God's plan, proof that it is sufficient. If the, if the death on the cross was the payment for our sin, then the resurrection is the receipt. And we can know for certain that our faith is grounded not in hope so, wish so, but in the reality of a bodily resurrection of one who came back from the dead. 
See, if somebody came to you and claimed to be God and then died, and you could go and you could go to their grave and dig up their bones and know that they're still there, you would seriously doubt their claim, wouldn't you? But if somebody claimed to be the son of the living God, the creator of the ends of the earth, the one who has loved you for eternity, and he stepped out of heaven and he came to earth and he led a sinless life and he died on the cross, and then you go to his tomb and he's not there because he is risen, you would know the unstoppable movement of God has come. And it has. Hallelujah. It has come. That's what makes Jesus different than every other religion, every other religious leader, any other moral code you want to adhere to, is he came back from the dead. He is not here. He is risen. Man, that's some awesome news because now we know there is one that has gone before and he has conquered death. He is the death of death and he's the death of sin and he is able to remove all those things for us. See, redemption was God's plan all along. Check this out. In verse 8 of that passage in Luke 24, it says that the angels are speaking and say, talking to the women, remember how I told you or how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinners, be crucified. And on the third day, raised again. Then they remembered his words. See, redemption was always a part of God's plan. Jesus knew it before it happened. He predicted it. He told his disciples. His disciples heard it. God clued in Isaiah 600 years earlier and told him what his plan was and what he was going to do. The disciples heard that and they saw Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead and they went from being timid and afraid to bold and unashamed because they had seen the risen Christ. And they passed that message on from generation to generation. And now we sit here this morning because somebody has told us. And now we proclaim to everyone here that Christ has risen from the dead. That is the great plan of God. So the question this morning is how how do you become a part of that? How do you get in on this great unstoppable movement of God to know that your sins are forgiven, to know that Jesus Christ died on your behalf? It's simple. You don't do anything. You don't have to promise to do better or promise to do more or that you're going to get it right this time or that you go to church more. It's so much bigger than that. In fact, I want to just use a a scripture here to tell us what it looks like to how to begin a part of what God wants to do in Easter in your life and in mine and know him in a personal way. The very first sermon that was preached after Easter by the Apostle Peter, he stood up among thousands of people and the people that had just yelled crucify him. Weeks later, he's telling them that you need to turn to Jesus Christ. And this is what he says. Acts chapter 3 verse 19. He says, repent. Then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Doesn't that sound like a great plan that all of our sin, all of yours and mine can be completely wiped out, that the death of Christ paid for it all? If you will turn from self and turn to God. That's what it means to repent. I want to make it clear. There's a difference between feeling sorry about something. There's a difference between repentance and that. There's a difference between that and just feeling bad that Jesus had to do that for you. What repentance really is, is when you rise, you've offended God. And when you realize you've offended him, that you want to ask his forgiveness for all that you've done to offend him. That's what it means to repent. 
And God says when we do, he will wipe our sins away. That is the good news this morning. You know, I told you about Louis Ceparini in the movie Unbroken and how he was rescued from his captors. He was, he was redeemed in the first sense, but not in the other. It wasn't until 1949, a few years after the war, and he was struggling with alcoholism, night terrors from all that he'd been through. His marriage was failing. And he goes in 1949 to a Billy Graham crusade and he hears this same message that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again to give us life. And he says, that's what I want. And in his own words, he said this, my life was changed ever since. Guys, that's what God offers each one of us this morning. So he chose to be a part of the unstoppable movement of God. And that is your choice and my choice this morning too. See, it's your choice to have the life Jesus offers. And maybe you don't realize that. Maybe this is the first time you've heard it. But God is actually waiting for you to decide. He's waiting for you and I to decide. To trust Christ or to not trust him. To put our faith in him alone or in something else. And that's the choice he has for each one of us this morning. Now, while you ponder that choice, we want to play a a story for you here. As you think about giving Christ control and leadership of your life, asking him to forgive you, you think about this story. Danny have been married for 17 years. We've known each other for 23. And the last seven years seems like it was going downhill, being alone, not communicating, not talking to each other, passing each other in the halls. And it got to the point where he moved out, and I went ahead and filed for divorce, and wasn't sure what to do about it. I felt alone, and felt like I was trying to take care of the kids by myself, do everything by myself, and wasn't having any help. A lot of the arguing was between me and Tara. I didn't feel like I did anything right. She would tell me I did this wrong, I did that wrong. I wouldn't speak. I would close up, wouldn't say a word. Then when things finally came out, it was nothing but screaming and yelling and in each other's face. I had filed for the divorce back in November and then had talked with my lawyer and we were getting the papers ready and then when they were served to Danny, there was something he wanted changed in them, so we went to change them. And then it was taking my lawyer a very long time to get back in touch with me. I would try to email her, call her, left messages, she would never call me back, and then um, about a month ago, then Danny called me and told me that he thought we were making a mistake and didn't really want to waste the 17 years, and I think now that possibly God was at work not letting the lawyer call me because he didn't want it to go that route. He wanted us to try to work this out and stick together. And I have been going to Crossroads for close to a year and a half, and in December, um, I pretty much felt like rock bottom, and I've been talking to Rod, and one of the sermons he gave on a Sunday morning in December really touched me and hit home, and I realized that I wasn't alone and that I needed to really let God take control and do what needed to be done, and that's what happened. And in February 22nd, I actually got baptized in the church. After talking to Rod, I decided that it might be best to also talk to Tara. Called her and told her I thought we were making a mistake, that maybe we needed to talk. 
After talking with her, we decided maybe we should go out on several dates together. We did that, started getting along better, started parenting together better than we ever have, and now we're back in the house together. Things are going great. The good part that came with dating is I started paying more attention to the things that she would say, the things that we were doing, and not just ignoring each other. I was fearful that, you know, this was just another time of him can't handle things, leaving and not coming back. But this time was different. It seemed like that we were really focusing on our relationship and our marriage and each other and being thoughtful to each other and listening to each other and communicating. To Coming from a person who had no faith for a very long time, maybe never, know that if anybody's going through any hard times, God will pick it out and he'll, he'll help you. And um, I just wanted to say that ever since we've started going to church together, seeing the marriage counselor together, God is really doing wonders for us and making our marriage work. It's reconciling our marriage. Yeah, he's definitely fixed us. Important part two is to make time for each other, whether it's watch a movie, whether it's take a trip to a place like Dahlonega or maybe a place like Helen. And we did that and... Had the best time. Yeah, we had a blast. I mean, it was fun. It was almost like being teenagers again. <laughs> Give God praise for that. See, that is a story of redemption, how God will, will fix and remake anything that is broken in our lives. But that only happened because Tara and Danny individually turned their lives to Jesus Christ. They, they realized they needed Him. They turned to Him and acknowledged His leadership, acknowledged His forgiveness, and they joined the unstoppable movement of God. And their lives are totally changed. You know what? God wants to do that for you this morning. If you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, if you've never let his forgiveness and his love flood in and remove all your stains and all your blemishes, if he's never uh, just removed your, the shame and the guilt of your condemnation, then I believe today's the day he wants to do that. That today's the day that you can say yes, that you can choose him and have a life, the power of the living God, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to you and I if we will simply turn and ask him. So this morning, I'm going to lead us in prayer. And if you've never made that commitment to Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to seriously consider giving him your life and letting his love and forgiveness set you free. Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks, we give you praise because you are the God who heals and restores and fixes all that is broken in our lives, all that is broken in this world. And God, this morning it's a very personal decision because I know there's people in this room that have never said yes to you. And God, as as you've spoken to them this morning, I pray you grant them the faith to say yes to you right now. And if they'll simply in their own hearts and their own minds call out to you and say, God, I need you. 
I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus died for me. And I put my faith in him. And I want to know his power. I want to follow his ways. And I want to bring him glory. God, would you remake me? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.